I can't make sure they make money, but when it does look like they can make money or if it does look like they could break, break even depending on where the markets are at, which year, I do what I can to help them protect that. Good morning and happy Wednesday. This week's guest, Becky, does something that I didn't actually know existed. She trades on the market for farmers and ranchers. She made what that actually means a very easy and approachable subject. So hopefully if you don't know anything about her job, you learn as much as I did. So I hope you enjoy this episode and thank you so much for listening. Hi, I'm Becky Harstead from Wilmot, South Dakota. I am a commodity broker and risk management consultant for grain and livestock producers. My husband and I farm here too. We are grain farmers. We raise corn and soybeans. We have four kids. They are ages five, seven, nine, and 11. And so they're, they're part of the everyday process as well. Mainly what I do is I, I trade futures and options on the Chicago Board of Trade or the CME. And so I just help people try to protect as many profits as they can with the prices that are available. And so when they're, you know, if corn prices right now, they've really been rallying. And so my job is to make sales because they're profitable or they work for someone. And that sale can happen to an elevator, an ethanol plant. And that's more the risk management side. But also a part of the risk management side is that I can trade it on the board of trade for them as well and protect it in their own hedge accounts. And then the same thing is for livestock. Like right now, livestock have actually, or cattle have actually kind of hit a little bit higher level that we've seen, we haven't seen for a while. And so I'm helping people just get some puts underneath of that and just make sure that as the market moves down the road, you know, they've got something protected and they know, you know, nine months, nine months from now, they're still going to have that price. And then I also keep records and stuff for people. So if I have made a bunch of sales for someone and, and managed that with the elevator and there, there's a few different making a sale sometimes you know we're placing a target and then that target would fit would fill and then after that there's still another step of setting basis and so there, there's kind of a whole process but then I'll, I'll record that process and then send it out to customers too so it's like hey here's exactly where you're at and that way we can continue on a conversation of you know what they think their production is going to look like and that changes you know these last couple of years we've had really wet weather which creates a lot of prevent plant acres and and then all of a sudden the, the stuff we thought we were going to sell looks a lot different you know there's a lot higher percentages and stuff sold so that's how I help people uh, manage their risk I, you know, I can't, I can't make sure they make money. Their break evens dictate a large, you know, a majority of that. But when it does look like they can make money or if it does look like they could break, break even depending on where the markets are at, which year I do what I can to help them protect that. Okay. That is okay. I didn't even, you know, realize that there was risk, like risk management people for like ranching and farming. It like never occurred to me. I always felt like risk management people were just for like fancy people and it exists here too yep how do you get started doing that because I know sometimes it can be hard to like reach people who are in agriculture do you have a background in agriculture or I do I grew up on a farm we were grain farmers and cattle producers and actually hogs too when I was younger so I grew up I guess being involved in 4-H and FFA which you know don't have to direct you in an agricultural mode, but mine, those experiences for me did. Um, I had a lot of leadership experience and then, you know, just kind of always was doing something ag related. And so then when I went to college, I went into agriculture education and I got my degree in that. I was doing that. I interned at a firm that that was risk management and kind of started to learn about it. And trust me, I was lost. You know, and people are like, oh, I'd never get that. That'd be so hard. And it's like, well, it was so hard. <laughs> You're right. It, it's, it was a learn, but it's not that you couldn't learn it, you know? 
and that's that could be a you know maybe something that's off-putting for some but it's very learnable and and that's where I came into it was just interning and getting my feet wet and then I took some marketing classes in college with livestock risk management and you know spreadsheets and egg business and that type of stuff and always kind of just liked it and then I worked for I did work for that company then too for a few years right out of college and and switched into teaching for when I started having kids I wanted a little bit different schedule and I was kind of traveling a lot for work and so I switched into teaching and taught egg at our local school here and then did that for a couple of years and and realized this is still really where I wanted to be but not with all the travel and and such and so I started my own business just as a kind of as more of a like, I'm just going to work for a few people and, and stay at home with my kids. And it actually started because one of my, um, somebody I'd worked with in the past called me and was like, hey, could you manage my stuff for me? And it's like, well, I'm at school. You know, I can't, I'm not even available during market hours, you know? So and he was like, well, you're probably helping your dad out, aren't you? And I was like, well, yeah, I am. <laughs> but, but my dad, you know, I can talk to my dad at night. You know, there, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of flexibility. And he was kind of like, can't you just do mine too? <laughs> and so that, that right. was like where it started was somebody kind of pushing me to just be like, you know, just do my stuff too. And it was like, you know, I kind of do want to, I do want to get back at that. So it worked. And, you know, the first I didn't have a ton of customers and I didn't seek any customers just because I was, you know, I just had our second baby and all of our kids, you know, I had four kids in five and a half years, like everybody's fairly close together. So I just, the, the business grew by word of mouth, which was kind of the right pace at the right time. And, you know, my husband and I farm here. So, and we had cows too, when we first got married. So it, it has all really just evolved. Not, not that you necessarily think at the right time, you know, when, when you're in it, you don't always think, wow, this is just really the right time for all this. But, you know, as you look back, you're like, right. that was kind of really the right timing. And so, yeah, I've, I've been involved in agriculture forever. Ever. And no, no, I don't think any kid thinks, hmm, I'm going to be a commodity broker when I grow up. You know, that's not, that's not a typical <laughs> job. You know, you might want to be a teacher or a nurse or something that you, that's kind of more in front of you all the time or a farmer, you know, that part of it too. But I guess this is, this is the area in which I fit into. I like it. That's really interesting that you decided you were going to teach for a while. So when you teach um, agriculture, like in a school, what does that look like? So I grew up in Northeastern California. We had FFA at my school. We had a really big, like prominent 4-H presence, like in the community. There's lot, there's lots of, was like really outdoorsy, lots of ranches, not tons of farming. Didn't really have, the, I wasn't in the right part of California for farming, but we're certainly surrounded by farmers in like the bigger part of our community, but we didn't have really a strong ag program at our school. So I didn't start learning about any of that stuff until, I don't know, um, I knew a little bit because of growing up in California because we have like kick-ass fruit right. in the whole country. But aside from realizing that I no longer had access to that when we moved down here to Texas, I still don't really know kind of about ag, like specifically about farming. Egg teaching, I mean, I think teaching egg is probably specific to your location. You know, I taught, I had a welding class. I had a kind of an intro class, which were, we built, I had, I had a younger group of kids and we built quite a few things, like a woodworking style class. I had an egg business class just because that was my, my interest. And that was like a senior level business class that, you know, I think some of the kids sometimes are like, why is this so hard? And it's like, because this is what you're really going to have to do someday. But then there's, you know, we had a greenhouse. And so I had some floriculture and horticulture stuff. And it just, I mean, it, it was the tools that we had available to us in the classroom and, you know, that other teachers before me had found details on. I mean, we had one of those 
plasma cutters that, I mean, we made huge metal signs and would cut pictures out for a farm, you know, or we did a big flag that was a big metal sign. And so just learning how to run that kind of stuff too was interesting. So it's, it's definitely not just an animal science class. That is one of the classes that's offered, but you know, when you teach ag, you're teaching everything. You know, I had a parliamentary procedure team and actually I had a a junior team and they, they made it to state, but it was the year I had our second daughter. And so I was in the hospital while they were heading to state, but it was, it was fun because they still (laughs) called, you know, and I let them know when she was born and they were all so excited because, you know, they're, you know, they'd seen me pregnant and walking around the school and stuff. So it was, yeah, teaching ag is really flexible. It can be, you know, whatever the egg teacher's background is that could be highlighted just because they're comfortable there. But then there's other, like welding wasn't my strong point. I knew how, you know, I had done it, but we have some really talented welders in the community. And so I had some of those guys come in and they were a little, you know, <laughs> rough around the edges. Their language was rougher around the edges. But, <laughs> but I tell you what, those kids listened. When those people came into the community, like, the, I mean, the kids got a kick out of it. They were entertained because here's somebody not teacher-like showing up in the shop. It was, it was really cute. It was fun to watch them just really engage those community members. And, you know, it's, it's people that they might not always meet and it's different things. I mean, all of that stuff grows into maybe a job opportunity or maybe just learning more later from somebody else or just all these unexpected things that could show up and, and they didn't know that was going to show up for them later, but it, it ended up being important. Yeah. In my high school, we had, our, our, we had um, I don't want to say a pretty prominent auto shop program because I did auto shop for like four years ago, <laughs> but that was, that was because I wasn't interested in learning anything. I took the class because the teacher was a friend of my dad's and I knew I would be able to That's pass fair. It happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's like a super, super cool, like laid back teacher, but, the kids who would like work really hard, like and we'd have like students bring their other students bring their cars in or like if you had a car you could bring it in and work on it. A lot of the kids who really put in the work in auto shop and the teacher who he knew a lot and he was willing to teach anybody who wanted to know, I just wasn't one of those people. A lot of them went on to like work in the community in, you know, bigger auto shops or at we have a big like um logging mill. So a couple of them went on to be like mechanics at the logging mill. So it it really like paid off for the community to have this whole oh, program there. Sure. We had welding like my yeah, we had my welding like my senior year, but I was Which I don't blame <laughs> you. That's that's intimidating. That's intimidating to teach as a teacher because you're just like, okay, I do know how to do this, but this isn't like there's a difference between knowing how to do it and having done it a certain amount of times and hey this is my lane you know I, I do this and I got this like for me that like a business that was my lane you know I could I could do that comfortably but yeah welding was was not and I you you just get better you know and when you have to teach kids you you work so hard to know that content by the time you're teaching it you know you're getting a lot more comfortable and you're you're kind of relearning what you already were taught because you're learning it from a, hey, I'm going to do this now and I've got to be able to communicate to 15-year-old how to get started. Like, because there there should be, there should be a girl in the class that's never been on a farm or a boy in the class that's never been on a farm that's really interested in this project, you know, because welding's far more than farming. Last year, I learned that it is in fact very useful on a farm. <laughs> did not know prior to living did not know prior to living on a ranch, but uh, how much welding was actually used kind of in the day-to-day. Right. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> and and it's one of those things, too, where, you know, just in agriculture careers in general, people are always, 
people are always wanting to hire somebody to weld because you want it to not only hold, you know, hold up, but hold up for as long as possible. You want it made well, you want it square. We have a good friend who's a fantastic welder and and we, we have a welder in our shop and we do our own projects, but there are certain things that we still have him come for because it's like he's got the talent, you know, he's got that skill level that we don't and we know that. And so hiring somebody that's really talented in their field pays off, you know, and that's why they're there. Knowing that your specialty is back with like agricultural business, how does it may, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but how does um, dealing with ag businesses differ? I haven't dealt with non-ag businesses, so I don't have that perspective. I've only ever been in agriculture. There's different things about ag, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're not true about something that's not egg. You know, I have a friend who owns a clothing store, you know, and we talked about similarities too, where just, you know, customer retention and stuff like that, because you're not going to retain every customer in any field, you know, and you're not gonna do what they want, even if it's what you do, you know, you're like this, you know, this is my, this is my group of offerings that I can offer you from my business. And that just like, no matter what business you're in, that just doesn't always match with with what somebody's looking for. And and sometimes it takes a while to figure out, hey, what I offer isn't what you're looking for, you know, or or them going, oh, this business can't do what I'm looking for. You know, it just, sometimes it takes a little bit to get there and just the respect of this isn't suiting everyone. You know, I think we all go through that. And and how how to take care of those people who are who are here and, you know, like being here and want to continue working with your business and want to do all the things that you do offer what you know how do you keep working for those people and and what you're doing is maybe your base level but it's like okay do i need to improve on that or do i need to tweak that a little bit so that i can keep offering the best service so i think those things and maybe it's because we're rural maybe maybe that's our connection is that we're all in rural communities but i think we all just deal with the really similar things that way yeah that makes sense um i wasn't sure if you'd spent time working with non ag or non or non-rural businesses because i know like for me i've noticed a big difference in my i'm also i also have okay. a photography so i've noticed a big difference in my um like western photography people and it doesn't matter like what kind of like photography it is whether it's branding wedding families and then my like non-western photography people in the same like categories there's like just a big difference in like the way they want to be talked to how they want to be reached and the ways that i can reach them that makes sense yeah like the types of like social media they're on or like where where online they're hanging out and that makes sense and i do think there's a different almost a different dialect between kind of that farm ranch western community and then you know and those that aren't involved and and they're just our ways that we communicate maybe are different sometimes for for my customer base i mean everybody's involved i've had i'm trying to think if i've had a few people that have traded that weren't somehow connected but i don't think they have i think everybody's been somewhat connected because some people will Mm -hmm. want to set up a speculative account where they can trade i mean just like how everybody how, how all these people are buying gamestop right you know and run in the market like people want to do that in commodities too and i have i have talked people out of it i have i've talked people out of signing up an account because i can tell they kind of are 
they're kind of there because they're like, ooh, I want to try. Like, they're they're not realizing how much money's involved, you know, because they're like, well, what's it going to take to get an account? And, you know, they'll they'll sit down and be ready to just throw on an order and give it a whirl and see how it's going to go. And I'm like, okay, but there is margin involved, you know, and if we're going to trade, you know, if we're going to trade corn, you know, you're going to have to have an extra thousand dollars, you know, and if you're losing a thousand dollars, just that one contract might cost you two thousand dollars real quick, you know, and if you're going to do 10 contracts, now you're at twenty thousand dollars and just the farmers people in agriculture like if you're farming or ranching or whatever you have like a backup for that because you have the commodity in hand or in field or somewhere and so if you have none of that it's like nope i just need they still have to pay margins like farmers and ranchers do but they can work with a bank they've got they've got a backup they've got something that sits there if you're not a farmer or rancher then you're coming in with a speculative account well now you don't have that commodity to back up what you're doing and so it's you know, if you're going to go to the bank and say, hey, I'm, I'm trading corn and I'm losing my rear end on the deal. So now I need I need 20 grand to send over for margin. You know, they're going to have a lot of questions. <laughs> they're going to be like, what are you doing in that? And we also do like a, a kind of a financial, the company I trade with, would they do the clearinghouse will do a like a financial review, you know, and you'll have to state your net income, your, you know, or your gross income and your assets and liabilities. And they're going to they're going to also help gauge if you're a good financial fit for this because it is risky. You know, every single thing I send out in an email or every single piece of information we put out has a disclaimer at the bottom that says you can lose a ton of money. You can lose all or more than you invested here because it's true. You really can, you know, and and to to pretend like you can't or to think it won't happen to you would be really naive. You can absolutely lose your rear end on the deal, you know, or if you raise grain and all of a sudden you've got a crop loss or like you get it that you can you can completely lose on this deal. You're already you're already conditioned in that. And then there's, you know, there's people who haven't dealt with that and they they just maybe don't quite grasp it. And so I'm like I said, I, I have talked people out of starting accounts just because it's like I'm not sure this is going to end up being a good fit. And I, I think the reality of what you'd be trading would be kind of, you know, I, I think it would go would go good. You know, it wouldn't be a great thing for this person, you know, and maybe I'm wrong and I'm talking the wrong person out of it, but you know, I have done this for 11 years now. And so, you know, you can kind of start to tell too, it's like, Hey, this one's not going to be a good fit for you. Yeah. That all, that all makes any financial stuff. I just like do not get it. And like my podcast does not make money. My photography business is like, it's a side gig, but it's like very, very simple. And I don't, I don't like invest anything. Uh, well, I mean, as far as like outside of the business, I reinvest money into the business all the time, but uh, that's also like super simple, super easy. So like anytime anyone talks about like financial stuff or like investing and <laughs> profits and financial risk, I'm like, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. So I appreciate you like taking time to like break it down. I think I might understand it a little bit better now, um, especially so I subscribe to this newsletter from one of my favorite podcast hosts, and she's a lawyer, and she broke down in her newsletter the what's going on with GameStop this like this last week when she sent it out, and I was like, oh, none of it made sense until I read this, and that's what talking to you is like. I'm like, oh, none of this made sense until you explained well, good. it. Well, like, good. Is- I'm glad it is making sense as we're visiting. And people ask me too about GameStop. They're like, what's going on with that? And I'm like, why yeah, don't it, trade GameStop? That's that's a different sector. I'm not I'm not um, licensed in that category. Like I can trade the Dow. I can trade 
you know, the S&P 500, but then the the individual stocks like that, I can't. But yeah, basically, basically everybody got mad and they're like, we're going to blow this hedge fund out of the water. And they just, and they did that. <laughs> they made them make such a huge margin call. Yeah. And part of what um, was like explained, well, what was explained is like, there's not really, re- really a reason why they decided to do that. They're just like, we like GameStop, we're going to do it. And that's like the hardest, <laughs> the hardest thing to like, predict is like this group of people is just like, now we like GameStop, we're going to just do it. Well, and it's not typical because a fund, a fund has so many positions yeah. and they know how much weight they've got in the market. You know, a fund or a large buying group or whatever, they know that, I mean, that's true in commodities too. Like beans, soybeans have rallied, you know, dollars per bushel, like four to five dollars per bushel. And a hedge fund or maybe not a hedge fund, but a, just a like an index fund or, again, a large group of trades got washed out due to margins somewhere. And that that wiped out the market 60 cents one day just because they had to blow out that position. And as they're needing to do that, that's so many contracts that it that it runs the market down. You know, and, you know, us, you know, an individual or somebody who's a true hedger typically has nowhere near that many positions, you know, or if we do, we're possibly also speculating in addition to our hedging. And so there is a certain level of, you know, it it gets frustrating for people because they'll feel like, well, geez, the funds are running this, you know, I'm trying to hedge and they're doing this and they're getting in my way. And it it can be viewed that way, but it also can be viewed as they provide a certain amount of volatility in the market that when things get exciting and they, they can run it higher than it should go because they're speculating, because they're participating in ways we're not, so we can we can you know then participate in that higher price because they have done the running for us, and 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 the other direction works against us where they run it lower and we're going, but hey, there's good things around the corner. Hey, the fundamentals of this say that this market should come back around. Well, and it probably should, but they're you know they're profit taking, they're they're adjusting their position, and you know, the market has run lower, and there's not much you can do about it. So it, it's more, and that and that comes back to the whole core of what I do, which is, Hey, when it does get up there, protect it, you know, don't, don't worry about when or why or whatever, but just keep it, you know, find a way to have that profit. Let's kind of rewind a little bit. So you mentioned that you started your marketing business mm-hmm. in 2012, right? Can you kind of, yeah. Well, so I, w- I got licensed in 2008 and then, you know, worked for a while, went to teaching, but kept my license. And then in 2012, it was like, Hey, I'm going to do this on my own. Which turned into just pretty much calling and introducing broker and saying, hey, I still have my license. It's going to expire soon. Is there something I can do? And so I just got my license, you know, renewed and all of that stuff. I I was teaching at that time. And so I taught until, you know, I did my teaching contract, which went to like May, June, something like that. And I had a two-year-old and a four, probably six-month-old by that time. So I just worked out of my living room or we had a living room in our downstairs that we didn't really use. And so I had a desk down there and my computer and I would, I mean, I would work for a few people and then, and I guess fairly quickly, cause I had, I probably had five, six customers somewhat soon. And so then it, you know, I had to go back into reading daily commentary, making assessments, you know, charting 
when you build charts and kind of look at if it's in a buy signal or a sell signal and figuring out if the right, you know, if what I think is the right thing to do matches with a chart that would say that's the right thing to do. So I've got a couple different parameters that, that, that tell me, you know, Hey, this is a good thing. Or they help me back it up. Like sometimes when you're making a decision on one thing, the other three things conflict with that. And so you're going, you know, this looks good. I see where this could not work out, but this one area looks good. So it kind of gives you a balancing act as to what you're doing. But yeah, I worked out of my living room and the girls were with me. You know, I would do a little bit of daycare from time to time if I needed to really focus on something. But for the most part, I just did that in my living room. And then the next year we were building our uh, farm shop. And so we put offices off to the side of it. And so then the next year I moved into my office. It's still on our farm, but it's just across the driveway from our house. And it, it sounds, I don't know almost offhanded to be like, oh, well, it just kind of grew. But it kind of just grew. You know, I would work with a few people and then, you know, their neighbor would call and say, you know, hey, I know these guys work with you. They said I should call you. And my husband is an agronomist. He and he sold seed sales or he did seed sales before that. So he worked with a lot of farmers, too, who would always know what I was doing, but I didn't know them. And they would always ask him because everybody's always interested in the markets and what somebody thinks. It's a really, you know, it's a hard thing to figure out and not to say I haven't figured out, but they, I, I, you know, live in it every day. You know, I'm always looking at it. Well, so then they'd ask him, well, what does Becky think, you know, or what's Becky doing now? And, and some, you know, he'd try to answer, but he's like, just call her, <laughs> just, just see, like, here's her number, call her. And, and so <laughs> it, it just, it just kind of developed it just naturally developed. Um, and I had, I mean, I had our third kid. I didn't have any daycare for a while because the one that we went to, she was kind of in retirement mode and wasn't taking any more than us, like one or two babies at a time. And which was glorious because, you know, I had a baby in my office for six months and then he would go part-time. But the biggest thing was I was trying to stay home with my kids and do something that I liked doing or that I felt interested in. And these two things paired together. And so all summer when my kids are at home, they're running around our farm, you know, and once in a while we'll still have a sitter come and just kind of do some projects with them or whatever. But it, it very largely allows me to be with them all the time. And that's what I wanted. And, and now they are learning, you know, they'll come in and be like, mom, what are the markets doing? And it was really funny one day because wheat is the market that seems to never be up. <laughs> like, it's all, and my little Harper, she was probably, I mean, gosh, she was probably like four or five at the time. And she's like, mom, what are the markets doing? And I said, well, corn and beans are up and wheat's down. And she goes, wheat's always down. And I'm like, you're so little to know that. <laughs> but it, it just, you know how so kids are. Funny. Like if, the, do you have kids? Um, I don't, but I coach um little kids for a few years at okay so, yeah. here so they I just the things they say the things they pay attention to like yeah. you can't even plan for it and all of a sudden they they know the things I mean that's how I got started is I just I just started and I'm one of those people who like I will dive in head first and then I might find out later that this was a really huge thing that I do and oh my gosh now I've got to figure it out but that's that's how I roll that's how I have my whole life and you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And I figure it out if it doesn't. So I've, I've learned a lot about trading. I've learned a lot about margin calls. <laughs> I've learned a lot about, 
you know, spreadsheets because I build all my own spreadsheets and I create, you know, when something's not fitting or something's not enough, I will, you know, go in and create it. And that, that's part of it. The entire time I've been doing this, you know, I built a basic spreadsheet. Well, then I wanted more. And so then I added more to it. And it, it wasn't something that, you know, you even if you could build the spreadsheet, you maybe weren't going to know exactly what you wanted out of it until two years later when <clears throat> you had a di- more diverse group of farmers and then it was like, hey, I need I need a few more things from this. And, <clears throat> you know, it started with with a basic spreadsheet that just said, you know, contracts and bushels produced. And it was kind of basic. And now, you know, now I have it tied into other spreadsheets where it's like, you know, my whole list of customers pops onto a different spreadsheet. And it just says this many, you know, they are this percent sold and this percent targeted and this percent that. And so. Um, and I have a ranking because I can, I can, I know who, who my customers are that are more nervous and not, I shouldn't say nervous, but really conscientious of like, Hey, I really need to get this price. And now that I've got it, I want to sell it. And then I have some that are like, I'm going to hold my grain for two years because this price is going to go higher. And so I kind of gauge how they're doing and I rank it based on, you know, I'll rank their sales and that helps tell me, okay, when we're selling at these times, how are we doing? You know, and what do I need to change with this customer based on, you know, based on what, you know, what their profits are and based on what what prices we're typically getting. So I do, I do try to analyze that too, just so that I really know that I'm working for that customer in the best way that that customer operates. Because it can get frustrating when it's like, I don't want to do that. I This is how I'm going to sell. I know exactly how I want to sell or what I want to do. And I'd like you to come along for it. Like it would be easiest if you would just do my plan, which which it would be easiest, but that's just not how it always works. And that's not always what's comfortable comfortable for people. And so then, then I can at least come back to them too and say, you know, <clears throat> to some of them, it's like, hey, you're doing really good. This is more your strategy for when you're marketing. And, and I think we'll want to follow up this way. And then other ones, you know, it's like, hey, you know, you know what, sometimes, or not even sometimes it's like, I, I'm seeing you at the bottom of this list. You are typically making the lowest sales and um, and we need to fix that. And those aren't fun conversations to have, but I guess it gives some clarity to everybody. And it's like, no, I really am paying attention to this. And I really am gauging where we need to go from here. And honestly, you need to move, you need to move up. Like you need to be making better sales. So, because some of them are a little bit geared towards I need to haul in grain today. I need money today. So I'm, you know, I'm going to do it this way rather than, Hey, we're at a sell signal. The fundamentals are really bullish at the moment, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That, you know, if they're not selling, then they're selling just when they need the money. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't usually pan out. Yeah. I'm sure that also like helps your customers feel, you know, more comfortable because you are managing significant amounts of their money and um, helping manage significant, significant amounts of, their risk along with that so i'm sure it also helps when you're they know you're like looking at it and you're like hey you're like we want you to do better i'm sure that also helps them being like oh that yeah that's why i decided to invest yep. in and they that's don't always I like to hear to that that's not always a fun conversation of hey you you are doing not as well no, as everyone else no. <laughs> but some i mean we all need that grounding you know at some point we need to go hey this area is not my this isn't my strong suit and i'm I'm trying to fly by the seat of my pants and it's not working because that's typically what it is. They're like, oh, shoot, now I need this. And so I'll do something about it. 
Whereas it's like, but you hired me to do something about it when you're not thinking about it. Okay, quick question. So he's an uh, agronomist. And so what he he does is he goes and scouts people's fields. And then um, they need to spray a chemical or add more fertilizer or, you know, and then he soil samples. So he'll, he goes out with like a soil probe and pulls up little pods of dirt and sends it into labs and has it tested for nutrients. And so then they can factor, you know, so you're, you're um, fertilizing in the appropriate spots with the appropriate fertilizers. And so it, it's more efficient and um, I guess it's more efficient because it's less fertilizer in the wrong spots, more fertilizer of the, you know, the right kind in the right spots. And so he does that and then builds, you know, builds plans, helps them buy seed, that type of stuff in the winter. And I suppose if you didn't grow up with, with, you know, near farming, (laughs) that maybe isn't as much a thing there as it is here. You know, here there, there is, there is cattle. There's a lot of farming. Um, And so, yeah, he just, works with grain farmers and, and you know there's guys that have because he pays attention to the ones that have um livestock manure for fertilizer you know he always highlights to them hey you're you're utilizing your manure you know it, it is it is serving you well and so there's a full picture there too with the livestock part of it we don't now when we got married we went on our honeymoon to um mushrush red angus in kansas and we bought 20 bread heifers on our honeymoon so we are exciting. And we went to the Kansas City Board of Trade because I'd never been. And now it's closed. So I'm so glad we went. But we did that on our honeymoon. And we had these 20 bread heifers. But at the time, we lived in town in Wilmot because um, Arnie's grandparents still were out on the farm. Like, So his grandparents farmed. None of their kids farmed. So they it skipped a generation. And so then when Arnie came back, Um, we just, we just started from scratch because they were, they were sold out. There was nothing here except for like a farm site. And so we had these 20 cows and we were, you know, in there, the pens were old, you know, just not, not everything was great. We did build a corral and got started, but then we had our first kid the second year. And I was kind of like, okay, I'm probably not going to be calving anymore. Plus we both work jobs. Plus we don't live where our calves are or where our cows are. And so I think we kept them one more year and we sold the cows and calves. And then like another year later, it was yet before um, his grandparents had built a house in town, which allowed us to buy the farm or the farm site um, and move out here. And then by that time we were kind of, both working jobs fairly seriously. And so we just hadn't got back into cattle and we're growing the grain side by this time we were grain farming. Um, and so that was, that was the, where our funds were going for growth mode and purchases and that kind of stuff. So we have not had cattle except for this last year. Harper, our uh, second daughter, she got a heifer. And now in this last fall, both Harper and Lauren, our oldest two got heifers. So they're going to do the 4-H showing and that stuff. And they got heifers because the entire reason they have them is they want to have babies. So we will have some, you know, I think it'll just kind of be a little, we have, we do have some pasture and stuff. So it's like at some point we can have cows out there, but right now we just rent it out. So 
I don't think it will turn into anything real massive. You know, we could do a little bit of a feedlot, but again, we've got two full-time jobs. We farm, <laughs> you know, we're, we have all these things going on. So it's like, is that, is that the direction to go? And we'll just see how it develops now from here. It'll be a little bit slower paced. And we do bottle calves every year. The kids, you know, us and the kids do five to seven bottle calves. And then our kids now rodeo and my husband ropes. And so um, we will have, you know, just some roping livestock around too. But yeah, to make a, what could have been a short answer, a really long answer, we don't have cattle right now. Um, aside from these three heifers um, and we'll just, we'll just see how that grows. You know, we, we both love it and have an interest in it. Calving is tiring, but also precious. Um, and so it'll, we'll just see if it, if it evolves. They just, so they just, our oldest just started this last summer and she did uh, barrels, poles and flags. And then the, they now call it the ambassador contest. So she did that. Um, enjoyed all of it. And now the girls are working on, so she, now both of our older girls will be in 4-H rodeo this summer and they'll do probably the same thing. Barrels, poles, goats, um, flags, and, and now they'll add breakaway. They, she just wasn't ready last summer. <laughs> she just, and so hopefully this summer they feel a little bit more ready. Um, my oldest, her horse, her horse just died this last week, um, which she was 28, but she just was one of those. She had been a rodeo horse her whole life. How we ended up with her, I have, like, I, I can't believe the odds that we got her, but we got her just for, like, the last stage of her life. So my oldest, Lauren, her, and Sugar, Sugar was the horse's name, her and Sugar just had a really good bond, and did all their stuff together and she was really comfortable on sugar. Um, and so that went, that went very well. And now even just last night, I asked her about, we have this other horse, Jax, who's really a powerful horse and probably a little bit, he, he's mindful. He's not, he's not super crazy, but he's just ready to run. Like he gets into arena and he's got a job and she's, she's still timid about that. So I don't know if she's really ready for him just yet. My husband ropes on him just yes. to kind of keep him in shape and stuff. But she's just, you could tell she's just really wish she still had sugar because sugar can, you know, she could get up and go. She could do all the stuff, but she took care of Lorne, you know, and those kind of horses are just worth their weight in gold. So we'll see. We'll see what she's comfortable with this year. If, you know, if roping and those kinds of things happen right now, she's just kind of feeling heartbroken about her horse. Well, yeah, it just happened and she's, I was about her age when we lost our first family pet that we ever had. Um, so I can, I can relate. It's kind of, I don't want to say it's like a hard one. To it is, but it is, it's huge. And it's your first loss. Kind of and <laughs> like they had, you know, like they only, like her, her fly boots and her saddle pad and all that stuff was blue. Like their color was blue. And so like, like you have your thing with your animal. Right. And that's where she was with it. So, and I get it. I mean, Shoot, I, I had my horse from ages nine. I think I was nine when I got him and he died when I was 21. And I mean, I was in college and I cried when my mom called and she was like, Cisco died. And I like, I cried. I was like, no, <laughs> he's supposed to live forever. I actually, the other day, that's funny that that comes up. The other day um, I was talking to one of my childhood friends about horses that we'd been riding when we were kids. And 
stuff. And I was like, oh, my childhood horse went off to, there's a program in um, my hometown for um, people with disabilities and a lot of like older, like older horses will go there because, you know, it's really good for kids and people who like haven't rid and people haven't ridden and people who have disabilities. And so I was like, no, she's still out there because she's got to be, I'm 27. She's got to, and she's close to my age. She's like 25 or 26 or something like that. So I was like, I wonder if she's still around. And I went and I looked it up. And sure enough, last year in one of their like pictures on their Facebook page, there she is right in in the middle. And I texted my mom and I was like, look what I found. And she was like, yeah, she's still out there. Well, she is. Like you think about it, it's like, that's life. the way these these horses should get to retire is like literally with a bunch of kids that just love them you know and people that are just going to feed the heck out of it food to them so that they can be as healthy as possible going into their last days it's like lucky lucky those horses to get to retire that way yeah oh for sure and i like even when i was a kid i wasn't like super super into riding so my okay. mom sold her i think when i was like maybe 17 or 18 she wound up going to someone who rode her pretty much daily but didn't live like there wasn't there's was not a whole lot of horse property out where I grew up so she didn't live where the horse was but I guess I guess now when she goes and rides her because it's the same person who can still still has access to her oh, no. she tries to throw her off every single time but um she just didn't like that that particular person and she's like the sweetest like most mellow yeah. horse like if she had it her way she would just stand like she was, so it was perfect for a kid like me who was, like, very timid, not super interested in writing. And I just, like, didn't really want to get on. So she would just, like, stand there and, like, would just stand endlessly until I was, like, comfortable enough to tell her to, like, walk. And she had, like, the slowest. Which slowest is nice she with the horse like, and the kid. <laughs> you know, if they're always chomping at the bit, the kid is just like, Mom, I don't want to do this. You know, they're kind yeah. of like, this is a lot of work just to just to try to walk. So yeah, you right. Know, we We love, I mean. I didn't rodeo growing up, but, um, but we always had horses and I showed my sister rodeoed um, and we always used them. Like we always did cattle drives and would, um, you know, move, move the herd cattle herds to different pastures and stuff. And we didn't do branding. That's, that's further West. <laughs> we don't, we didn't brand where we were. So, I mean, I think it looks neat. It looks, everyone says brandings <laughs> is their favorite time of year. It's probably like harvest for us. If you're a grain farmer, you love harvest. Um, and so I, it looks neat, but we didn't have brandings. We just, you know, but we would work cattle and do that kind of stuff and got to use them that way, which I always think gave us a lot more confidence on our horses. And in general, just cause you weren't, you weren't just thinking about the horse. You were thinking about the whole process. You know, it's like, okay, is everybody where they're supposed to be? And, you know, your dad's like, get over there, go and, you know, they're going in the cornfield, get them out of there. You know? So there was, there was all the things to work, work on. And I don't know, we were fairly young doing that, but it it certainly built our confidence up and, you know, allowed us to be comfortable riders. Yeah. And I, and I know like for me, if I was like, uh, just kind of, you know, messing around in the arena riding, it wasn't like pushing my abilities. But if I was like, we did a lot of like trail riding and stuff like that. But when I was like out on the trail and I had to like, maintain focus on like what my surroundings were and like pay attention to like the signals my horse was giving me yes, as well as I like, believe like, it. the horses that were around that like that's took what pushed it. me to be a better rider oh we we did a we did a trail ride but by super... Harper my second one who's the, definitely the horse crazed kid 
last summer we did a trail ride and she took Sherman. Sherman's our old, he's another one of our old horses. We have a little, we have, we have the senior pen and they're like the 20 plus crowd, but they're, they are our treasures. They get fed every possible thing we could feed them. So that, you know what I mean? It's like, if this, they, yes. So she had him and then I had this little six year old Roni who we were just trying to season and we had to go down this super steep hill. And I was like, I, you know, I trusted Sherman, but I knew Harper was little, you know, she was, she was eight, but still I'm like, this is, this is, or no, this was two years ago. She was seven. So, but she just was, it was a really steep hill and I was really nervous about her going down. And Roni had been bucking the whole time. Like every time somebody would get behind him, he'd be bucking. And I was like, for the love of Pete, you are going to need to quit this. Like at some point this needs to be fun and you're going to need to like get it together here, horse. And we went down that hill and I was like, well, hopefully this goes well for us. And he did great. And so did Sherman. And Sherman was the most, you know, he just cool, calm and collected. He stepped right down that hill. And I kind of talked to Harper about how to sit. And, you know, I, I don't even know if she was aware that I was so like, oh, gosh, kind of a big deal here getting down this hill. But it all went fine. And I was very thankful for her mount because he was he was an old tried and true that took good care of her. And, you know, and and my horse, Roni, did fine, too. But I just I hated for him to try to go too fast or something on her because Sherman didn't. And again, it's one of those things, like you said, that trail ride really makes you kind of gauge your surroundings or handle it when they step in a hole that you didn't see. Because, you know, that happens, too. And everybody's everybody's learning and it's like, Oh, Hey, at, at some point this might be a little bit crazy for a minute. Yeah. I, that is the one thing that I do kind of miss out of everything I mean, having our you've kids, like done in your whole life. What do you, kids, the most you know, my family is the far and away best thing of my entire life. And I didn't, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, that was, that was God like handling that one for me, but that is far and away the absolute best thing in my life. You know, it is, it's just raising them around, you know, working jobs that we can be proud of and being able to raise our kids around that. Um, not, that's not an option for everyone. And I, and I know that. And so the fact that our kids, you know, get home from school and they're hanging out in our office or on a day off, you know, they're at work with us and they're starting to know the things that we, that we do, you know, they're learning about agronomy, they're learning about markets, they're learning about farming, they're learning about business, you know, just, just raising them to be kids that, you know, that are aware kids that we always tell them, we're like, you don't have to love these things, but we want you to things and you don't have to work here someday, but we want you to know that you could do this if you wanted. And so just teaching them as much as possible while telling them, Hey, whatever you do is fine, but we always want you to feel capable and feel, you know, feel, feel competent and know that if it's way out of your league, you can give it a whirl. You know, they watched both of their parents start their own businesses and build their own farm and make all the changes that we're doing. And so I guess that's that's inclusive of our family, but just getting to raise them the way we want right here in our own lifestyle. Yes, you actually mentioned something interesting that I don't hear a lot of parents of eat. Yeah, I would say your kids are all pretty young still. Of young kids, um, they too often. And I know, like, when I was growing up, it was really common. And before I was around, it was even more common. But you mentioned that, like, when your kids are home, a lot of the times they're just kind of running around on the ranch. And 
there's not a lot right. of opportunities for kids and to ours are just you know be we built our office with windows so like i can view all the areas that they're in and but i also i believe in i believe in letting them have a little bit of space to run and play you know i'm not i'm you know i'm not going to stand over the top of them the entire time they're playing like and now they're you know that they're a little bigger you know when my oldest was you know, four to five years old, I was out there probably a lot more. Now that my littlest is four to five years old, she's done and seen the whole, you know, the whole farm a million times over because she's got three siblings that are bigger than her, you know? So, but they're, you know, they're around here and it's like, Hey, you do need to go play. You know, they can go practice roping. They can go, you know, my one window views where our kids ride. So if they're going to be out riding horse, you know, not obviously my littlest one, but my bigger two that, you know, can go and trail ride a little bit by themselves around the area. If they're out riding, I can watch them, you know, if I'm still at work. So we we made it so we can keep an eye on them and we can see them, but we can give them the space to kind of spread their wings too in a safe way. Yeah, I think that is super important for kids. I know like I have friends who have kids that are in similar ages as all four, as all four of yours. And um, even, you know, friends of mine that have 12 or 13 year olds are like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't let them, you know, walk to the corner yeah. store. And I do think, I mean, I think like, stuff has changed. I mean, I feel that the news like, we get is more, a lot of the media and news is more so sensational. It's more, everybody beware of this. Whereas it's really not in general a problem at all, but we sensationalize the one story that tells everybody to be fear- yeah. fearful. And, you know, like our kids, okay, from the, from the school to the, there's a coffee shop that's in our town that is adorable and amazing. And if you ever come to Wilmot, you got to go. And it's, it's three, four blocks. And I know as a kid who grew up on a farm, if you ever got to walk by yourself somewhere in town, it was huge. Like it was such a big deal because there was no freedoms like that. Like if you were on the farm, like so were your parents, right? Like somebody was always there. And so my 11 year old, she had a birthday party with friends. And I was like, all right, you guys just walk to the coffee shop and order your stuff and I'll get there and then I'll pay for it, you know, when I get there or whatever. So that was huge for her because they, they don't get to do that. And so they got to walk their four blocks and get their coffee, you know, do that all by themselves. And it's like, I know how big of it in our town is 500 people. So it, it, it's not like that we're in, you know, Austin or somewhere huge, but, um, and we are, we're only three miles from town. So even just, you know, we've rode bikes right. to town and I'm sure when they're a couple years older, but not quite driving, like they'll probably get to do that too. And they've got a couple friends that live on the way to town. So I hope that that can still happen. I still feel, you know, it's probably our protected little corner of the world, but I feel safe about those things. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, probably in your town of 500, it will probably still be safe in the next few years to do so. I don't want to be, you know, Nothing like oh, that right. ever happened. Well, and you know, here, every neighbor like, down the road, like there's a lady who lives a little ways down the road, and I could totally call her and be like, "Hey, the girls are going to bike by you in a little bit. Can you just look out your window there's, for them?" And she would. She'd love to do that. Yeah, I know. Like my elementary school was about a mile away from um, where the house where I grew up, and we had we had dogs that like to go for walks, and um, my mom would let me take our one dog. I was an only child. My mom would let me take our one dog for a walk to the elementary school let him off the leash, let him play a little bit. We had, it was like, you know, elementary schools have like these big, huge yards. We had like a whole big soccer field. Um, so there's tons of grass and stuff. So I let him off the leash, let him play, leash him back up, take him home. And 
you know, that was like a totally normal nightly occurrence. The rule was just uh, be back before the streetlights come on because was well, one is dark and our dog is black. And two, you know, where I grew up, there was lots of nighttime predators. Like we had bears, we had mountain lions, we had coyotes, we had bobcats. And not that my parents were really fearful that any of those would go after you know, a kid with yeah, a dog. Right. But, Which but, is know, a good, I mean, that's a realistic time frame. Even a real possibility. So it would be back before the streetlights are on. <laughs> um, okay. Last question. If you were going to give advice to someone who's like interested in, you know, trading and risk. Management um, I would say start slow because there's a ton to learn. Some of the other you know, stuff don't, that you do, don't look for a full client book and then start learning. You know, ideally you can learn with a few customers and your own self too. And then grow it slowly because, you know, you'll you'll keep learning and you'll keep having experiences that kind of keep you eyes wide open about stuff or something where you're going, I didn't even know that was an option. And here we just went through. And so, you know, start slow, be diligent, take notes, track what you do and and build from there. But when you when you track what you do and when you know what what works and what doesn't, you can build off that. And it's not to say that those will always be the things that work and don't. but it, there's always a building block, you know, and as those things change or as you adjust what your build, what your business is is offering, you'll always know like, hey, I tried this thing this way and I, I want to try it again, but I'll do it this way instead. Or nope, I'm not going to try that again because it just flat out flopped. And and I think, you know, expect that you won't always get it right. That's a huge part of it. And it can be really stressful for, I mean, even for me now that you're always trying to find the right answer and you just won't always have it. And that that's a part of it. And that's okay because you're always working towards having it and you're always gauging what you do and don't know and how you can best work with that for risk management for your customers. That's super useful advice. Thank you. Okay. If somebody wants, I am terrible at social media. Um, I'm on, um, probably me. I kind of check on Twitter sometimes, which I think I'm just at (laughs) Becky Harstead. Um, but it, honestly, for me, it's it's like email. <laughs> it's Becky at WhetstoneCommodities.com. Um, and I do I do have it. Again, at pretty much everything, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff is just at Becky Harstead. And that will that will be any of them. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.